It's hot. Today it is. It's Wednesday, the 18th of uh, May. And it is, it's hot. I feel like taking my shirt off, I got to tell you. It's high noon. Less clothes, more nudity. Right, absolutely. Uh, the great way for us to open the show, uh, we have a clean show today that we're going to be doing here on the AltaCast. <laughs> PG. Uh, PG, PG. They, they understand. They, they know it's hot enough that you want to take your shirt off. That's yes. not, that's... It's a, not in a sexual way. That's PG-13. PG-13. It's hot. I almost want to do one of those Daisy Duke things where you like pull it through the top and then down. Do you remember? Do you remember this? Yeah, I know what you're talking that? about. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do that, yeah. too. <laughs> Back in the day Back in when the- it was hot and we used to run through sprinklers. <laughs> no one has front yards here in uh, San Francisco. I know. It's, in this neighborhood. it's It's kind of weird to me. Like everything is like kind of concrete. Well, I, I guess it's not weird to me because I, I lived in Chicago for 11 years. But right. There's no front Front yards in Chicago. No, some places there are, but I mean it's like a concrete jungle. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, it's it's a sweltering jungle today, and I and it's 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 actually not that bad. It's actually quite beautiful here in San Francisco, and uh, high class problems. Uh, global warming only affects us positively. Amazing things happening here at <laughs> MutinyRadio.fm at That's 2781 21st Street, Florida. AltaCast. I'm joined by my co-host, LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth Wynn. Hello. Bringing us the truth. As always. And uh, I'm Pam Benjamin. Today at 1 o'clock, we actually have a classroom coming in. Uh, a bunch of high school students, thanks to teacher Kelly Yawn, just bringing them in. And we're going to do some live radio with the kids. We're going to put them in a panel. I'm sure they have something prepared because Kelly's a good teacher. And of course she did. I mean, I never lesson planned when I was a teacher because I was teaching special ed. Uh-huh. And I figured, like, I got this. Well, it, I mean, it was mostly behavioral management anyways, the kids that I was teaching. So trying to get through a lesson wasn't, uh, it was weird. But it was fun. And um, the whole thing was, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm really great with reading comprehension, so I could be teaching from the book, like the history book, and reading along, but I would, I mean, it was information I already knew. Let's, I, I didn't prepare very much when you I was You didn't a prepare? <laughs> no. And I, and I was a special ed teacher, so I never had to uh, do any homework. It was, I never had to grade homework. It was great. Well, isn't it great. cool? Like, you were like a teacher, what, like, what, almost 15 years ago or what Yeah, um, I taught from 1998 to 2001, four years. Four years. I got my credential in 97, and uh, I taught from 98, 99, 2000, 2001, those four years. And then I got out. Were they changing, like, was it because of, like, the change of the curriculum and what have you? And yeah, absolutely. So, um, as a special education teacher, number one, we didn't, in the beginning, people weren't really looking over my shoulder and having any sort of curriculum. It was like, wow. And I was, I was also with, um, when I started teaching, it was SED, but uh, they dropped the S and made it just ED. So, instead of being severely emotionally disturbed, they were just emotionally disturbed. <laughs> because they thought that that S stigmatized them, you know. Anyways, I taught a lot of kids with ADHD and, um, you know, just really big behavioral management issues. They started putting autistic kids in my class toward the end just because they needed one-on-one attention. But it was really terrible to put um, a really sensitive, sensitive kid, like both viscerally and emotionally and just stimulation-wise, like autistic kids are really sensitive. And... uh, they had him in a room full of like ADHD kids and oh, uh, oppositional defiance disorder, oh ODD. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, they're like. That sounded like pandemonium. It, well, it was a little bit, but I really liked the ADHD kids and I, 
I was fine with the OCD and the, I mean, I, the weirder the better. And if they were, I mean, I dealt really well with emotional disturbance, kids that have been really messed up by the living situations that they've been in. And, uh, you know, I've got a big heart and, and I'm, I'm ex- exceptionally patient with children. Um, but so in the beginning when I was teaching it, it was kind of an amazing thing because I was sort of shaping my own curriculums to deal with the kids. Cause they, my last year of teaching high school, uh, the kids were ranging in age from 13 to 18 in the same classroom and they had a variety of different disorders. And, uh, and I was supposed to teach to all of, I mean, so not only were they supposed to be learning things individually because they were on different abilities they had to learn how to learn in a group but it was difficult to learn in a group because they were so skewed in their knowledge and their and their and their basic skills so I mean I had an 18 year old who couldn't read and I had a 13 year old who was a great reader but you know smelled like pee every day because his mom wouldn't um because they were in such an argument she'd be like I wash her clothes and I fold them and he and she said, all you have to do is put them away. And he wouldn't do it. And inside their house, they had like 14 cats and a llama oh, and all this gosh. stuff. So the cats were peeing on his laundry. But he was like, mom, I hate you. And so the way that he hated his mom was by going to sm- school and smelling like pee. And everyone made fun of him and Aww. all this stuff. And he was doing that just because he was mad at his mom. So there's something psychological going on there that was really serious. There's something psychological going with the mom having like a llama and all those cats. Absolutely. The mom was also like over 400 pounds. Oh, she never left the house. There was a huge, there were many, many, many big family problems going on. And that's why I was into teaching emotionally disturbed kids. Like, Um. it was interesting every day, and it was difficult, and it was challenging. But it wasn't that hard because it was always different, and I always just had to roll with it. Yeah. Right? So it wasn't like, I'm sure the classroom that's coming in today, I bet they have curriculum. So (laughs) the thing that changed was that I pretty much had everything in my own classroom for those years. But then in 2000... no Child Left Behind started rolling through the, the, the George Bush No Child Left Behind or 2001 and I saw the changes and I got out of there because all of a sudden there were they were saying that the kids that I was teaching weren't going to be able to graduate from high school unless they took this test and I'm like oh, my go. kids can't sit for 20 minutes you expect them to sit for 6 hours they can't sit for 7 minutes I mean I was I had timers in my classroom where it was you you can't get up for three minutes and then when you do you have to raise your hand and it was like that was really tough and we're talking like 15 year old boys and it just they were so I mean they forget and I'd be like timer you know and you'd have to teach them these weird scripts and these weird little tricks to try to mainstream them that's what we called it mainstreaming to try to mainstream them back into the regular education but if you can't sit in a room full of 12 people 12 other students, and there, were, there was me, the teacher, and two, two aides, without following directions. and ra- I mean, they just couldn't do it. How, how are they going to sit in a room full of 32 people with just one teacher? Oh, and like that was the goal. And we're making these, we have these IEPs, individualized education programs, and what we're trying to get to. And the behavioral stuff was so in the way and so pervasive in everything that was happening that they just weren't. Like, they weren't going to learn certain things because we were trying to get them to not become murderers. Do you know what I mean? Right, exactly. Like, we're trying to give them the social skills so that they can maybe, I don't know, hold a job someday. Right. And, I mean, and they just, 
And some of them were so intelligent. Anyways, I don't miss teaching. <laughs> I don't. Um, because it turned into this uh, No Child Left Behind teaching to the test, the calling of critical thought from our education system. And I, I have a feeling that the kids that are going to come in here are definite critical thinkers. And I've seen some high schools in San Francisco that are doing amazing things. Um, a group came in here to Mutiny Radio and filmed... Um, did this amazing film. I'll, I'll even show it, even though it's just, it's so, I'll play it in a minute, but it's embarrassing because I cry in it. Of course, I, because I always <laughs> cry. But it's about Mutiny Radio, and there are these kids from high school that came in, and they and they made this amazing video about Mutiny. Oh. It's, it's on our Patreon page. Um, but we don't really have any other, like, you know, videos uh, about Mutiny Radio, and so. And how long ago was this one? Oh, gosh. I'm going to say I'm going to say it's in the, it was during the first year of my reign. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm coming up on junior. It's been three, it'll be, it's my three year anniversary of being Aww. the director of this place, which is like. We're going to have an anniversary party. I know. And I feel like there's so much more that I should do, um, that I could be doing, um, but I, I don't, I don't know. Here we go. Okay. Let, uh, throw me, throw me four. That little, that little, Yeah. Pull that up, but then throw me the cord. There should be a cord coming out of the box, the submixer box. We're um, we're lifting the veil here on uh, AltaCast here on MutinyRadio.fm. So this is so here's an example of of what high school kids can do that can be you know incredibly impressive, and, and it is something that's you know happening today. Uh, and, and the kids that are going to come in today, I'm sure that they're amazing kids. But then I feel like there's the other ones that are just not reading. Do you, I mean, or they're not, we're not instilling a love of reading maybe in our kids. Or, or social skills. Or a love of learning. Yeah. But, or there's so many things. Our that phone is our best our, friend. Oh, that's so terrible. So this is what, uh, you know, kids can do when they hang out and are creative and, and wonderful. Uh, all right. Why is that? So I'll tell you, I'll narrate it. So it's showing the neighborhood, and there's uh, Ryan. Oh, yeah. This is Ryan. And we filmed it on a, on a Friday at the Diamond Dave uh, thing. something called Pirate Cat, but now we we are Mutiny. We Mutiny. So Pirate Cat, I think they would have been around like nine years now. They, the transition was rock. I mean, it was really scary. It was like things weren't working. We were trying to be a cafe. We were trying to sell these bacon maple lattes. It just, it wasn't a feasible model and people didn't feel like they, it was a dictatorship and we didn't like it because really it's like we're kind of like a clubhouse or dues-based membership collective, you know, where everyone has, everyone that pays and everyone has to say, pretty much. So that's how that goes. Hey, Rabbi. Rabbi. So a weird, a weird guy came out the door who's a rabbi, and I was like the rabbi. Um, we're all over the place. Like, what's our demographic? I, well, my show, though, is comedy, so my, my demographic is, like, dudes that are 25 to 40. <laughs> I do a lot of sex jokes. Uh, but we're all over the place. We have 
We have a show that's all in Greek. We do a kids program with Boys and Girls Club. Oh, we do super, super gay stuff too. We have House of Pride with Tina Turner. And, and Pearl Tees, they come dressed up. My God, it's amazing. Um, and this is just a place where people can voice being different. I was a really loud child. Oh, this is the emotional part. I was always silenced. It was always, we're right here. We're, we're, right, we're right here. You don't have to be so loud. And I'd be like, but you're not listening. You're not hearing me. And I always just kind of felt like I had ideas and things I wanted to express. But they're like, no, no, play piano. Express it through someone else's expression. All I know is that here, in this small place, we can at least affect, I mean, I know that the people that come to the open mics love it. So we're affecting them and we're giving them a voice. I don't know, I think giving people voices is what we're after. The Mutiny Radio is all about bringing, if someone has a voice, if they have something to say and they want to be heard on a worldwide stage, because the internet is huge, um, we want them to say it. We want people that are passionate about free speech and about expression. And that's, if people want to do that, then this is the place. So that was produced oh, wow. by um, a bunch of kids. AIM, AIM teacher. Anyways, it was really lovely. It's it's really it makes it makes me all emotional. That uh, is, I've never seen that. That is so cute. Yeah, it's, it's, and these were high school students at the time too. Yeah. So so now they're college graduates by this point. Maybe. Um, they're probably they're in adults. college. I, I would say that they're probably in college at this point. They're adults. Uh, but yeah, they're definitely adults now. But they produced this great thing. They came in with multiple cameras, and they they did two different shoots. They did a three to six shoot, and during the Common Thread, and then they did a eight to ten shoot during Pantastics, and uh, and it was really great. I was super stoked on it. So, and then we got this video. So there are kids that are that are doing things, I think, in the world. Yeah. Um, that it, doesn't suck. And there are Americans that you know are they're churning churning out some really intelligent young people that want to shape the world and everything else but it all starts at home well we're just we're just there's a lot of but we're, we're still breeding a lot of dummies oh yes and again of course you know i always blame the parents first you Absolutely. know the thing is it's just like i like for example yesterday i was standing on the train and it's little things like this that bug me i saw the mother with two kids and she um had an infant in the stroller and her little like three or four year old son and I noticed the three-year-old son just throws his trash on the ground on the platform. <gasps> Nay! Bad parenting, then, bad parenting. And then two minutes later, the mom just throws her, like, Lay's potato chip bag <gasps> on the ground. So, obviously, I'm like, oh, well, now I know where, I, where, she, where the child gets it from. And at first, I wanted to go over there and just pick up the bag in front of her. And just, because the trash is maybe about, I don't know, maybe 25 feet away. Oh, my God. Wow. You know? And it, it's just, like, little things like that that it's just, like, you know, sometimes... Some some adults shouldn't have children. Well, I mean, they learn by example, absolutely. And and if you're not giving them a good example, I mean, I saw a young lady on the bus today who really disappointed me. Uh, she was, oh, I'm going to guess 19. And she didn't have a lot of self-esteem. And I could tell that because she was swearing profusely into her phone so loudly. And there were children around. And um, she was talking about how she just got out of 850 Bryant and how she wanted to stab this bee. 
and was being so loud about it and so obnoxious. And I was just trying to read my book. But I was thinking how sad it must be to be uneducated, to be dumb. Yeah. To not understand that, that grasping after being strong and hurting someone, and that's what makes me important because I can hurt somebody. If that's, the, if that's what's keeping you going, if that's what's keeping a young woman going, that makes me so sad that that's what she thinks of herself. Plus at the fact that you are threatening someone's life on a public what bus. I mean, and, and you're sc- you're yelling at this. I'm like, you're, you know, you're actually. <laughs> I thought about that. I thought about like looking I'm just at like, her this and is how dumb her you are. <laughs> well, she said, this is what she said on the phone too. She said, well, every time I have to go, I don't shouldn't, I'm not going to affect a voice. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> she wasn't, and she, she used the N word, but she was not Afro of any, she, she seemed kind of white, maybe Latina to me. She's probably Latina. But we give Latina But she a pass. didn't, I she didn't have any accent just to, she was being very speaking very I'm gonna call it ghetto and I'm trying <laughs> not to be you know um, monetaryist or classist that's the word classist but she said whenever I go into 850 Bryant I I dash my shiv in the in my knife in the bushes she, I think she said shiv though because uh, I think that's cooler I don't know she said, I, I throw it in the bushes, and then I just pick it up on the way out. And she's saying this at top volume, top volume on the bus. And, like, and how she, and I just, it, it made me so sad that that, that that was her reality, you know? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's just like, you know, a lot of people's environment involves violence and solving something and violent ways i mean i I, i'm not gonna sit here and say like i there wasn't a time when i wanted to fight someone and solve my situation in a violent way i didn't well actually no maybe i did once but you know i also know there's consequences but it wasn't making up your identity your identity wasn't i'm a bad but b i'm a badass b i'm yeah kick up that's what that's what gives me power and makes me feel no, important that's how you end up the jail right that's the thing that's the, you think about the con i don't that's the thing i don't think people think about the consequences and of what what happens because when if you go to jail you're talking all the most people that talk all this hard mess and stuff yeah Usually the ones, once they end up in jail, they're going to be the softest ones Absolutely. in jail. Because if you think you're tough, wait till you go to the booty house. That's what I call jail. I mean, I, it's cute now with Orange is the New Black. I mean, it's a darling show. And it, it does, I mean, does it glamorize jail a little bit? It kind of does. But it, they're also... I still wouldn't want to go. Oh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> just, I think that... You don't recognize, I don't recognize the freedoms I have until something like that would be taken away. And, um, I mean, we have so much amazing freedom and I don't, I don't know how I would function with somebody telling me what time I had to wake up. When to eat. When to wash, eat. Yeah. Right. Where, who I had to sleep in a room with, where, with no roof, no, like I can't read whenever I want. I can only... I really don't like people telling me what to do, and I have a feeling that jail is a lot of everybody telling you what to do. I don't like wearing that orange jumpsuit. Right. That would be Not ugly. flattering for my yeah. uh, skin. Yes, exactly. You know? <laughs> it's not going to look... I don't look good in orange. Baggy. I look good in pink. 
I know. How am I going to... Uh-uh. We're not... It's our... I'm not a doctor for a reason, mostly because I don't <laughs> like scrubs. You know, I'm right. no, But I, I feel it's just like, you know, I, I think every generation goes through, like, you know, the morons and stuff like that. And we always play, you know, we point our finger at the most moronic people of our generation. And, you know. And then and sometimes we... we uh, elect them for president in the case of George <laughs> W. Bush or now again with the, the Trump thing. Oh, gosh. And here's another thing about that. Like, that whole the whole campaign is actually affecting a lot of young people. Yeah. And I'm talking about people in high school and elementary school. Like, I've read some of the, like, you know, different articles and what have you about how a lot of teenagers, like, at a game, I think, uh, which is, it was a basketball game in Texas, um, these teenagers were uh, provoking the base or the ball players because they were mostly Latin descent and what have you, and they were saying that <gasps> they, they were, were Trump- being racist in school. Yeah, like a lot of this stuff is like it's affecting absolutely a lot of the younger generation of people, and it, it kind of tells you something because I mean looking back as being like a 16 17 year old i didn't know anything you know my was mind a was Republican still a, back then i was a i was a independent i was still was that i was i was drinking the i was drinking the jesus kool-aid, the kool-aid. uh the, the jesus republican kool-aid in <laughs> no i was hook line sinker I, I used to repeat things that my dad would say like why don't we just nuke iraq which we'll just blow them off the face of the earth and then take their oil i mean stuff like that <laughs> terrible terrible Desert terrible storm stuff, stuff. Terrible, terrible. I, I think I knew a little bit better than that. Like, I knew how to have a mind of my own. By this point, this is like in the late 90s for me. So, but, you know, I my mind was a sponge as well. You know, I was still 16. And that's what I, that's where I was getting at to the point of like you were talking about how, you know, you were a Republican at the times because, you know, what your parents were, what have you, because our minds are sponges still at, as teenagers. Right. And I mean, sometimes, yes, it's okay to treat them like adults, but also they're still growing and they're going to believe everything that we say or sometimes what they see on Uh TV or what have you. And the thing is like now that people, you have younger people seeing these images that they, some of them probably have seen before or probably they've not seen you know, because they don't know anything about Jim Crow or, you know, the civil <laughs> right. rights movement unless Absolutely. it's in their textbook. Yeah, Plessy versus Ferguson. Right, right, exactly. All the, all all the stuff is, cases that right. shaped shaped what we believe now of the, of, of the civil rights movement right. and, and of equality. And, and even though it's in the you know Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing about the Electoral College, which really chaps my hide, is that the reason that the... Uh, it's a racist <laughs> the, the electoral college is completely racist it was brought about after the civil war mm-hmm. because they wanted to count black people well the slaves it was before the civil war actually because they wanted to get votes for how many three-fifths but they weren't those they weren't allowed to vote so they made the electoral college so that you could divide up the, the votes. votes and it would be based on it was it was that we weren't equal basically separate but it were that's even before separate was equal it was right you're not a human 
your which property is, which is crazy to me your property and still i mean even at that time women are were like right you know, women weren't voting either yeah they were still uh, you're you're slightly as you're you know i mean of course you're not a slave <laughs> good lord right, you're, right. Uh, you you didn't get beaten well, well i mean sometimes rule you of thumb yeah <laughs> that's what the rule of thumb was you were allowed to beat your wife with a switch no thicker than your thumb So if you used a thin switch, you could beat her morning, noon, and night. Make that, whip that cream faster. Make that cream into butter. Come on. (laughs) You're not doing it right fast enough. Darn my socks. (laughs) But I mean, the thing is, it's just like, you know, a lot of the generation, they only read these things from their textbook. Right. You know, as for like, I guess you get wiser as you live on this planet a lot longer and things happen to you right you know with your you know within your lifetime you know now this is like a new generation that it's actually seeing this like hate like in their face right yeah like yeah it's like history repeating itself right and so now you have like a little army of like little haters haters morons <laughs> I almost lost it there, but I no, thank it's you. It's the haters. <laughs> yeah, I like, thank you. <laughs> haters save the day. Um, that are like you know, they're starting their own little army, right. you know, because of what they see on television when it comes to our government and what have you. Because of this, this orange face. The images know. are impactful, and whether we know it or not. There are people behind the scenes that are shaping these images. Every time you see Hillary on stage, behind her are many different women of many different ages. Whenever you see Trump on stage, it's just him. Whenever you see Bernie on stage, it's a bu- it's tons of you. Sometimes they back way off of him <laughs> and they show the huge crowds behind him. But there are there are political like masterminds that are constantly quaffing. You know what hairstyle is best for Hillary so that she'll be more likable. It's so unnecessary. Because now they're fighting. Now instead of she's the most qualified person for the job. Do I like her? Not really because I don't like her corporate interests. But it doesn't have to do with her. It has to do with the corporate interests that she's sort of sold herself out to. You know what I mean? Wall Street. Right. (laughs) But. They've turned it around, and they've made it about her personality. It doesn't matter what her personality is. She's the most qualified person that's for the job. The, that's if she the point. Wasn't a, if she was a man, they wouldn't be saying, wow, she's really bitchy. They wouldn't be saying no, that. They the, wouldn't be saying it. And that's, when people see that, especially younger people see that, it tells you that, you know, you don't have to be qualified for the job. It's all about your personality. Like, what we're seeing this election is worse than, like, seeing, like, a high school fight. You right. know? It's actually less immature. <laughs> don't fall. <laughs> it's it's almost, it's not mature at all. Like, you do have oh. people, you have kindergartners that are more mature. Absolutely. Then you know and can do better put downs than Donald Trump. Exactly. He calls yeah. people ugly all the time. Yeah. It's like seriously stupid, stupid fat, you know, pig. Right. And I'm just right. like, wow, how juvenile are we? But he has no he's never held a political office ever. He's never been in a PTA meeting. He's never he's never been a mayor. He's never had any political office. He's just a business. The man. audacity. The sheer like ridiculousness of him thinking that he could possibly do this is 
against everything that I believe in. It basically says that money buys everything and nothing right. has meaning anymore. That hard work, dedication, and qualification. Hillary, Hillary's been in politics since the 70s. She was she went to law school. It, you want someone, Do I like her? No. It doesn't matter. Is she the most qualified for the job? She was the Secretary of State. Yeah. Like, are you You want me? someone you want someone qualified. That's like Donald Trump doing like, I don't know, uh, plastic surgery. Right. He's not a surgeon. He's I mean, not a surgeon. It's, it's, go give him a vacuum to do Botox yeah. or, or uh, to do liposuction. <laughs> Just because he thinks he, what he wants a woman to look like doesn't mean he has the knowledge. To do it. Right. And uh. the thing, it, what it's telling society now is like, you know, you don't have to be qualified for the job. Yeah. You you just got to be Fake arrogant. It you make it. Yeah. Arrogant. You, arrogant. Right and, arrogance. you know, you just have to have this persona or some kind of celebrity. And right. that's what our, what's wrong with our culture we're so celebrity obsessed yeah, absolutely that now we're about to not we excuse not me, we not some, you and I. Yeah. some morons <laughs> out there are about to elect a celebrity because we're celebrity obsessed and that's what i think that's trickling down to the younger generation because they're celebrity obsessed you know yeah you know all about what's going on with you know Kim K or like What's Fetty Wap or TMZ. Oh I am guilty for watching that hot mess. I am, but I get a balance because I know it's trash. I know the difference between reality, reality, and like what I really see in the real world. Right. But for a lot of people, and I'm not even going to say people younger i'm gonna say people in every generation are guilty of just being obsessed with celebrity yeah to the point where now you're about to elect someone it's, because it's, of celebrity and who their name is come on they're not qualified absolutely and bernie's qual. i think that the race should be between the two candidates who are the most qualified exactly the party and system is it's 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 lost right. it's gone we need we need a we need a multiple party system and we need um, to abolish the electoral college they've like, been talking about that for up. decades and it's, <sighs> it, it's silly that we ha- we haven't i thought we'd play a song nice uh, because of what we were talking about this is the live in living living color, <laughs> color. this is from back in the 90s but they knew what they were talking about uh, this song is cult, dope cult of personality you guys are listening to the altacast here on mutinyradio.fm and during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to us in a language that everybody here can easily understand. The cult of personality I know your anger I know your dreams I've been everything you wanna be Oh, I'm the cult of personality Like Mussolini and Kennedy I'm the cult of personality the cult of personality, the cult of personality. Neon lights, Nobel Prize, 
thing we have to fear is fear itself and the TV. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are listening to the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. I'm joined by LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth Wynn. Oh. I'm Pam Benjamin. Later today, we actually have kids coming in. We have some high school students who are going to come in, learn about internet radio and uh, production, and they're going to talk. I think they have something planned. Uh, but LaToya and I are talking about education Yay. in uh, the United States, and it's you know, pitfalls and great things and et cetera, et cetera, and terrible things. Yeah. um, So we we start talking about, we wanted to talk about sex education because we have very differing uh, paths of how we learned about sex. Um, I was not allowed to take sex education in high school because my parents were so deeply religious that they wrote a letter to the school saying that they didn't want me to participate in these classes. And so I didn't. So I never learned about all kinds of things. I mean, I think I learned most about AIDS from like watching 21 Jump Street, that one episode. And they're like, they're like, you can't catch AIDS from kissing or holding hands and or the toilet, toilet seat. seats. Um, I think I learned the most about sex probably from 90210. I, I really? really do. I think that I learned more from TV. Than I did uh, definitely than I did from school because I didn't learn anything. Which can be dangerous. Which can be dangerous. 
Yeah. Yeah. How was your sex education? Um, well, I remember the first time I took it was in Catholic school and it was weird. But it was mostly talking about, you know, girls' private parts and boys. But and when I went to high school, I remember they showed some pictures of like what STDs looked like and it freaked me out. Oh boy. So it was really but it wasn't like a long you know, I remember my it was for health class. Right. And we didn't talk about it for long. I think maybe we talked about it for a week, like sex oh, okay. education. Um but it wasn't a long enough period. I mean, I, it's not like we wanted to learn how to put on condoms and, you know, what's, you know, oral sex and all this stuff. But, like, I, I think there is a lot to it that we should have learned rather than scare the piss out of you. Right. About, like, this is what gonorrhea looks like. Ah, this is syphilis. Ah, that's what it, that's right, what it was. Right, yeah. It was just like, ah, no, ouch, ew. Gross. So they were, they were still preaching abstinence at that point. Yeah, they were. Um, but they weren't, they weren't saying it. But they said the best way to not do this or catch this is through abstinence. And, you know, the thing is just like a lot of people, I wasn't having sex in high school. But, you know, of course, high school students, that's when you start. Um, but then my mom, she was, you know, my grandma, my grandparents, too. They they came around and talked to me about sex because when my mom and her sisters and uh brothers were younger my grandparents actually sent a nun to their house to talk to them about sex wow and this is back in the 60s and 70s so by the time i was growing up like in the 90s my grandmother you know we sit and watch oprah or donahue and she would talk to me about like you know stuff about sex and stuff so i got i guess i got kind of healthy it was kind of healthy i wasn't too I, i i still needed to learn a lot of stuff but that's i mean it wasn't too bad i wasn't too sheltered let's put gotcha, it that way gotcha you know but you knew enough that you knew it was going. i had no idea what was going on uh and that's why we're we're concerned about the the youth of today because did you guys hear about the syphilis comeback <laughs> wow it's syphilis a makes a worrying comeback in the u.s uh why, why Why? would that happen? I don't know. Maybe because kids aren't being taught uh, what's going on and how not to catch that. Um, as well as adults. Read this real quickly. Yeah, syphilis makes a worrying comeback in the U.S. This is from uh, 2014, actually. But syphilis is making a big comeback in the United States with cases nearly doubling since 2005. Federal health experts reported on Thursday. More than 90% of the cases are among men, mostly gay or bisexual men. The Centers for Disease Control Prevention team reported secrecy and a lack of follow-up are fueling the spread. Mm. Ah. Uh, after being on the verge of elimination in 2000 in the United States, syphilis cases have rebounded. Wow. During 2005 to 2013, the number of primary and secondary syphilis cases reported each year in the United States nearly doubled from 8,724 to 16,663. Jeez. Uh, wow. Racial and ethnic differences are enormous, the CDC team found. The syphilis rate among black men was 5.2 times higher than the rate in white men, and rates among black women, while low overall, were 13 times higher than among white women. 
many barriers to contacting and treating sex partners exists, including delays in reporting cases to the health department, anonymous partners, physicians who rely on patients to notify their partners. Aww. Aww. And observed tendency of men who have sex with men to notify a smaller proportion of their sex partners than do heterosexuals. Wow. Down low. Down, uh, keeping it on the down low. So, so that's one problem. And then this is another thing. Uh, it, we got another article. STD epidemic is sweeping the U.S. with cases of chlamydia reaching record levels, while gonorrhea and syphilis are also on the rise. Uh, this is from November 2015, so this is just last year. CDC report warns of STD epidemic rising across the United States. Chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis all increased for the first time in nine years. A total of 1.4 million chlamydia cases, the highest number of annual cases of any condition ever reported to the CDC. 1.4 million cases of chlamydia. That's why, have you seen the, um, the billboard? Uh, it, there's a beautiful flower on it, and it says, Chlamydia is not a flower. <laughs> I've not seen that one yet. Chlamydia is not a flower. Uh, a sexually transmitted disease epidemic is sweeping the U.S. with cases on the rise as chlamydia infection reaches record levels, experts have warned. Cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay. Well, that's kind of scary. Yeah, a sexually... Tra- tra- oh. Uh, experts have pointed the finger at dating apps, including Tinder, Happen, and Grinder, warning they could trigger an explosion in rates of sexually transmitted diseases. What were we doing last week? I <laughs> can't believe it. What were we doing last week? We were, taught, we were teaching me about OkCupid okay because yeah. I have never used a dating app. I've never, I've never had that. But I can understand that. Wow. So this is among like grown people. This is, yeah, (laughs) this is, yeah, this is people who I don't think were educated. I think that we taught to the textbook too much in the 2000s. Right. And now we've made all these adults that are using Grindr, blah, 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 and they all think they're safe. They were, we need to bring back 21 Jump Street where they talk about the AIDS. (laughs) We need to bring back the AIDS talk. The AIDS talk. Because that's another thing. I was so scared. I was very scared. That's why, I mean, that that and being pregnant were one of the reasons why I waited so long to lose my virginity. Because I was 20 when I lost mine. mine Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And I still, I think it's because I come from that generation. Because that would, I guess that would be my demographic that didn't get the full thorough uh, sex uh, education. I think it's the kids. I think it's the kids right now that are like 24. 24. Yeah, I think it's the kids that, that I'm gonna say like the 21 to 27 year olds, and and especially once you put them in this city and you give them a bunch of money for writing some app, and they <laughs> think they're invincible. That's the yeah. They, that's and the they're thing. like, you know, and they're so open now, guys, girls, all of it, blah blah blah, and then they just. And then spreading the dishonesty and and just not when you have people not telling partners and then you've got Grinder and Tinder and oh, yeah, I like my my hoo hoo itches. <laughs> I it's it, it's I can tell you it, it's it's a pretty scary factor that you know almost like 16 years ago that it, syphilis was almost obsolete. Right, right. We it was almost eradicated in 2000 and now that there's you know, okay, woof. Which wasn't that Oof. long ago. It's just like, wow. 
Yeah. And it's, and, but I think this all boils down to like how important sex education is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it should be up there. It's with science. You wouldn't let a child take a shotgun in the dark. No, <laughs> you know? absolutely not. But it's like, you, you don't, you have to train them and teach them. And we've got, they've got these body parts. They do not, you know, they're, and if, if we're all squeamish about it and weird, then I mean, I don't know. Maybe we could stand to make some people a little squeamish and weird. <laughs> but education is the key on this. And that's why we're excited that uh, sex ed became mandatory in California in grades 7 through 12. This year. This year. Student uh, sexual health education will become became mandatory on January 1st, 2016 for California public school students in grades 7 through 12 under a bill signed into law by Governor Jerry Brown on Thursday. Good job, Jer. The comprehensive sexual health education law will combine education on HIV prevention, which is already mandatory, with sexual health education, which has been optional, into a single mandatory course of instruction with updated curriculum, according to Assemblywoman Shirley Weber, Democrat San Diego, author of Assembly Bill 329. Parents will have the option of excusing their child from instruction. The new law seeks to remedy the uneven instruction and sexual health in public schools in the state, as documented in a study by researchers at UC San Francisco and a lawsuit against the Clovis Unified School District brought by two parents and uh, several advocacy groups that alleged inaccurate and biased information about sexual health was being taught. The parents alleged that a textbook on HIV prevention did not mention condoms and a video on self Uh, sexual health featured a man on his wedding night comparing a woman to a dirty shoe because she was not a virgin oh wow wow jesus the previous law was important but there were districts that were out of compliance with it said felidia burlingame of the aclu of northern california this takes us to a new level a fresno court superior fresno County Superior Court judge ruled that Clovis Unified violated the 2003 California sex education law by providing abstinence only until marriage curricula without also providing accurate information about contraception. Judge Donald Black stated that student access to medically accurate sexual education is an important public right and ruling a ruling thought to be uh, the first to address the sex education law. According to Felidia Burlingame, Reproductive Justice Policy director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Northern California, more than 90% of high schools in California already offer some form of sexual health education. But because instruction was not mandated, the districts were picking and choosing what they wanted to teach, she said. In some cases, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students have been made to feel invisible or worse, stigmatized in health classes, Burlingame said. The new law states that curriculum affirmatively recognize that people have different sexual orientations. I think this is all incredibly important stuff, and I'm I'm surprised that it took this long for them to get this together. The previous law was important, but there were districts that were out of compliance with it, Burlingame said. This takes us to a whole new level. Among the new areas required, the curriculum will include information about sexual harassment, sexual assault, adolescent relationship abuse, intimate partner violence, and sex trafficking. Whoa! Whoa. Now, see, I need to take this class. I know, me too. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I really don't understand a lot of these things. Sexual harassment, I was taught, uh, is 
only something that happens if you're ugly. Like if you're a good looking person and you sexually harass someone, it's called flirting. But if you're ugly, it's called sexual harassment. See, Am I wrong? The, see, you you went to high school before the Anita Hill trial. So that's what it was. So. I never understood that whole thing about the pubic hair on the Coke can. Yeah. I was like, who cares? What are we what are we talking about? See, I Is he ugly? No, yeah. Oh, it's sexual harassment. Okay. I remember and I especially remember this in high school no junior high school and this boy the boys like to mess with my butt and they would be like you know you got a fat butt blah 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 and i hated that so i remember there was this commercial that Bodacious. would come on <laughs> there's this commercial that would come on and this woman would be like you know after being sexually harassed she's like that's sexual harassment and i don't have to take it so i started saying that to the guys that would like try to like grab my butt and i remember this one time i think i was like in eighth grade i'll never forget this is the one time i I fought another well another time i fought a guy um he grabbed my butt and i said that's sexual harassment i don't have to take that and he started laughing and called me a b and i took my clog off and started hitting him upside the head and i said don't you ever grab my ass um don't that's sexual harassment and i was just like was beating with my clog and so i remember because i remember as a kid watching that whole the anita uh hill and the clarence thomas thing with my grandmother the whole thing and i just remember like that just being very empowering like wow you know but they put this woman on display because she didn't like the fact that she was being treated and being used as an object i don't want to be treated and used as an object absolutely you know and so that's one of the things i really was instilled to me very young especially in junior high i'm just like that sexual harassment i don't have to take it and now, absolutely yeah and now it's just like that sexual harassment gave me a raise <laughs> <laughs> uh i think that I just I was surprised that catcalling became an issue again, and people were saying, "Yeah, what's the difference between catcalling and well, I'm just giving him a compliment." I'm like, "You come on, it gets Don't annoying." Play dumb. We know the difference. There's I think that there's a clear difference between sexual harassment and flirting. Oh, totally, totally. And there I mean, is. can you can you be in a workplace where you don't flirt? I don't know. It depends. I your flirt age with my coworkers. And it depends your workplace. It depends right. what you're doing. I mean, sexual harassment, though, to me, is very vulgar, though. Sure, absolutely. You know, I agree with that. I think, I think there's it's a, vulgarity a little bit more to vulgarity it. Yeah. to it. Sure. Yeah, most definitely. Like, I wouldn't want someone... And then it's somehow being used for, for power or for objectification. Right. Like, if you're trying to make someone feel harassed and less than and tiny and scare them, that's, I mean... Right. That's different the than... The catcalling thing, I mean, to me, it's just annoying. Right. Like, usually, like, if someone cap calls or does that, you know, the do this to me, I hate that. I hate that so much. I usually flick them off or start cursing at them. You know, I, I just keep it moving. You know? I, I keep it moving, but I got to say, I, I actually... I actually don't always... I'm putting feminism back 50 years right now, but you, it, you I don't, don't mind, mind the positive sometimes. attention sometimes. I mean, it, it's never been gross and vulgar to me, though. It's never been like somebody doing something really gross. But if, if they're like, hey, baby, I... I, I I'm the same way. I'm like, if someone walks by, it's like, you look really nice today. Yeah. I'm like, thank you. Girl, I keep you, it moving. G- you Girl, you got a nice fit on. I'm like, thank you. And I keep walking. I keep walking. And that's I mean, it. I'm not that sensitive like that, you know. Right, right, I don't right, think right, that's right. taking feminism f- right, too far that. off. It's not. And the thing is, like, you don't want to be an ass 
to someone and just thinking like, oh my God, that's harassment. That's harassment. I'm like, stop right. being sensitive about it. You're Because what actually is harassment, you're taking that word away, the power of sure, it. Sure, sure. Away. Right. I know some of us, we're, we get so sensitive. Uh, sexual assault, we know what that is. Adolescent relationship abuse. I think that is, that's awesome. I, I, I Yeah, I think it is too. I mean, because as adults, Beam. we probably, we, we, we discount what kids say a lot and to, to think Feel, that. You right. Can, Feeling pressured to yeah, do something absolutely. that you don't want to do. And this is so important. God, I wish I would have had this course. Yeah. I mean, because there are many times as a young adult that I felt pressured to do things. Absolutely. Me too. You know, and should I do them? Sometimes I did. Sometimes I didn't. And, you know, there's... These are people that are going through their first round of a first relationship. Right, ever, right. With, you and know. so you, sometimes, I mean, if you if you really want to please, please, please. Like, I'm a pleaser person, and so I could see. Now, you know, luckily I didn't have any, like, I didn't have an actual boyfriend in, in high school. I Neither did I. I mean, they didn't, boys didn't like me. Uh, we're going to, I just wanted to go through that stuff. Sex trafficking, I can't believe wow. that. Wow. I mean, but That's... I've seen pimps and hoes on the street. It's a thing. It's, it's, I think it's more prevalent now because you have the internet, you have Craigslist and the thing is they do, they prey on the young. Sure. You know, so it's a very, very important thing. Dang, this is deep. This is getting deep. Uh, so, uh, schools must provide comprehensive, accurate and unbiased information about sexual health and HIV prevention and provide students with the knowledge and skills they need to develop healthy attitudes concerning adolescent growth and development, body image, gender, sexual orientation, relationships, marriage, and family, according to the text of the law. This is great. In addition, the governor signed legislation um, back in November requiring curriculum on an affirmative consent known as Yes Means Yes in school districts where high school students must take a health class before graduation, such as Los Angeles Unified and Elk Grove Unified. I told for, I taught for Elk Grove. Yes. <laughs> um, that law, known as Senate Bill 695, was authored by Senator Kevin DeLeon, De Democrat in Los Angeles. Edward Trimis, principal of Verdugo Hills High School in the Los Angeles Unified District, said uh, in a statement that he welcomed the curriculum. We can, we can and will make it a regular part of our health curriculum to ensure all students are getting the same message. Not only that no means no, but yes must be affirmed to mean a clear yes, Trimis said. It's the right thing to do and the right thing to teach. Okay, so here is a little video about, um, about what they're going to be teaching. Because listen to the AltaCast. Mutiny Radio. What California schools are teaching about sex education. It's thinking. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Uh, you guys are listening to the AltaCast here on MutinyRadio.fm. Uh, oh, four has to be up. Sorry. The transmitted start infections we'll start are growing. All right. Here we go. Ed Source. More than 60% of teens in the U.S. have had sex by age 18. Rates of sexually transmitted infections are growing in California and are highest among young people ages 15 to 24. While the teen birth rate in California has been falling, it still remains high at 24 births per thousand girls, which is also the national average. What are California schools teaching students about sexual health? 
A 2003 California state law says that public schools are required to provide HIV prevention instruction in middle school and high school. Any additional sexual health instruction is not mandatory, but if done, must be medically accurate and objective. However, a recent lawsuit filed against the Clovis Unified School District in the Central Valley highlighted the disparities in what California school districts are teaching about sexual health. Clovis Unified was teaching an abstinence-only curriculum in violation of the 2003 law. The lawsuit alleged that an HIV prevention textbook did not mention condoms and a sexual health video that was part of the curriculum compared a woman who isn't a virgin to a dirty shoe. The judge ruled that student access to medically accurate information on sexual activity is an important public right. What this lawsuit highlighted was that some districts in California are picking and choosing what they teach because sex ed instruction was not mandated by state law. Governor Jerry Brown recently signed a new law, Assembly Bill 329, that requires every school to offer sex ed in grades seven through 12. It combines education on HIV prevention, which already is mandatory, with sexual health education, which has been optional. Research has found students need the knowledge and skills to develop healthy attitudes on topics including adolescent growth and development, body image, sexual orientation, and relationships. In addition, the governor signed Senate Bill 695. The bill requires students to get instruction about what is called affirmative consent, or yes means yes, before having intercourse. The law only applies to school districts where high school students must take a health class in order to graduate. Both laws go into effect January 1st, 2016. All right, everybody, yes means yes. I was just looking up um, Clovis Valley, California, um, where this whole debacle started to happen. And it says the unemployment rate in Clovis, uh, California is 6.4% with job growth of 0.91%. Um, so, and the income there per capita is 27,730. So you have a high employment rate. And basically what the article is staying, stating is like a, it's part of the Central Valley of California and it's a horrible place to live. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it just, I'm, I'm putting the two and two together, you know, of like right. how the educational system there is faulty. But it's also because the economics there is right. no bueno right. as well. So, I mean, now you have disenfranchised kids running around with horrible, horrible sex ed advice right. because of their school district. Right. They're set up by design to fail. Absolutely. That's what that is. And uh, I just... They're, run, they're running around willy-nilly with all of these apps. And, and everything that's happening in, in the larger scheme of the world, in TV and images and movies, in everything, comes down. I mean, sex sells. It's everywhere. Oh, always, always. I, and it's amazing how you can watch TV and you can count the images of women 
and men, I would say, being yeah. objectified. But I think that women over men are objectified for their for their bodies as opposed to what's in their minds. I, and, and that's sad to me that we're still in this place where we're still there. Not women and men aren't equal. I It felt like when I was a teenager, things were getting better a little bit because there was just like that whole empowerment of women in music and, you know, in politics and what have you. I mean, there's still like a lot of empowerment in politics for women going on now, but where it wasn't just like when I'm talking about more in pop culture, where is it just about taking your shirt off all the time? If you're going to take your shirt off, it's going to be about a statement. You know, you're going to make right. a statement, you know, and and you're going to give your reason why you took your shirt off or what have you. Not that you have to, but it wasn't just like, well, I'm just going to take my shirt off and put it on YouTube because I want to. And I want to see how many people like it. Right. You know, it, it's it, now it's just like, you know, we're so self-obsessed, you know with ourselves in the selfie because we're our own brand. Oh, the selfie is so you sad. Know. And I, I am guilty of it as well. Well, your you selfies know. are tasteful and beautiful. <laughs> They're and tasteful. you're always in a bikini top and it's always a good angle. <laughs> I don't begrudge you your rad selfies. <laughs> I just don't but, I just don't have any because my, my cell phone, my camera, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't, the camera on my phone only goes to other phones. It doesn't go to the internet. So if I wanted to take a selfie, I would have to email I would have to I would have to message it to my boyfriend who would then have to go on to Facebook for me and post to post it. it yeah but I mean that, that's so funny which is dumb because if he wants to take a picture of me he'll take a picture of me and he's done that with so many pictures and he doesn't even put those on Facebook and I tell him I'm like okay so I'm in a cheerleading outfit at the Warriors game those are ones you're supposed to put up on the internet okay <laughs> And the thing is, like, you don't have to post up everything on social media. And I you don't. (laughs) Wait a minute. Where am I supposed to get my self-esteem from if everybody doesn't know everything I'm doing every all the time? Exactly. If everyone doesn't know every thought that's going through my head and every thought that I have isn't important, well, who am I? Very, very yeah, yeah, yeah. Twitter. What what if I? I mean, I'm gonna break down because I didn't check my Instagram. Yeah. Uh, That's my impression of a of a high school student. But then we give them access to Grindr and Twitter and to this world of sexuality where they think every, and that's the thing is we are so self-obsessed as a people that I think these kids, they still haven't figured out that everybody thinks that they're as important. How do I say this? Everybody's so self-obsessed that they're not thinking about you. Usually you're thinking about you a lot. You're thinking about you enough for everybody, but no one else really is. And Everyone's thinking about themselves, and nobody. So you can't. You're not the most important person in the world. That and that that's what it boils down to. Right. You're not. And the thing is, it's just like. But I think we're. Like, it all goes down to like the whole celebrity culture, where we all want to be important. We all want to feel like, you know, some. We have a fan. We have a fan club. Right. You know, of people and followers and like how sure. many likes. And the thing is, like, we're willing to do anything or what it takes to like be liked you know but by people that we don't even know know. and the thing is it's just like you know and this is where the self-esteem and the sexuality come into into play where we're doing by any means necessary to be liked and wanted when willing to embarrass ourselves or you know undignify ourselves because of that absolutely well i mean and i'm constantly in my brain thinking how can I? But I'm not thinking about making them like me, Pam Benjamin. I'm trying to make them like 
Mutiny Radio. So I have like 4,000 4, friends, I think, now on Facebook. I'm getting up there. I have a lot nice. of friends. But there's only like... 2,000 likes on the mutiny page. So <laughs> why don't my friends... So I've got to find a way to like make all my friends like, like me. radio. Yeah. Well, I don't care if they like me. I, I mean, I want them to like me because I want them to like my comedy. I'm hoping that... Maybe we should do an on-radio execution. And oh, my God. <laughs> well, I mean, I was thinking about doing an on-radio marriage or something. I thought that would be fun. Oh, that would be cute. Uh, but I don't actually, I would have to do it with a person who's not truly ordained. I just want to do a fun ceremony and, and be weird. Because I don't want to actually ever be married. Even though I, I, I love my boyfriend desperately, I don't ever want to be married again because I don't see any point in it. It's a, it's for a tax break. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in the religious conventions of marriage. I understand it as a financial institution. It's a business. It's a business. It's a business. But at this point in my life, I really, the only business I want to have is me. I, I really don't want anyone else in my business. See, But like, I love my boyfriend. I love him so much. But I just, I think that I was taught through my youth and those, those lessons die hard. And it's taken my 30s to sort of wash that away from me that I was living this TV life or this Jesus-inspired life where you were supposed to, you know, be a quiet young lady, uh, always be in a good mood and just be pleasant. Good-looking and pleasant is good enough, okay? A good, being a good cook is better. Um, go to college, learn a lot of things, but don't worry about it because you just want to really stay home and have kids. Right. Because um, he's going to take care of Because he's going to take care because it's the, that old... Traditional, traditional yeah. you know, June Cleaver. Someday my prince will come. You know, buying the hook, line, and sinker of the Disney myth, uh, complete with the Lexus <laughs> instead of the carriage. And yeah, but I, yeah, I don't believe it anymore. But it took it. You lived through it, and you're like, I don't like the way this tastes. No, I didn't. I didn't. And it's still hard because my lifestyle style still rails against. You know, that of my family and that of my old life and that of so many people. And and sometimes I do get sad because I feel like I've made choices and I'm much more comfortable with the way I live my life and the things I've chosen to do and how I've how I've decided to be free as an American and the and financial choices and, and artistic choices and, um, you know, the choices I've made to, to be who I am. Right. And I feel like society is still like... It's you're not good enough. You're bad. Oh, Go absolutely. buy things. Your phone is stupid. Go buy <laughs> this. <laughs> why don't you have a Samsung Galaxy 7 that waterproof? <laughs> now, why do I know these things? Because Why don't you look like Kim Kardashian? Right. Even though I don't have a TV and I try to shelter myself from all of these images, they still permeate into my everything. Yeah. Because I ride the bus and I see ads and I see... I mean, it's impossible to escape. You're... Amen to that. The images of what America is pushing forward... Even if you don't drink the media Kool-Aid, we're, we're still living here. We're still all walking around. And, and that's the scary thing because, you know, we come from a generation where we didn't have these things. We didn't have to yeah. have social media. We did. We could turn the TV off. Oh, absolutely. You know, and we could go run and go smoke weed with our friends. Sure. <laughs> and, but now it's just like... Although There's we don't screens. condone that for high school we students. Don't, no, we don't, no, don't condone. do that. I don't know where they are. Just so, it's just say no. But that's okay. We're still being cleared. Yeah. Well, I mean, but 
come on marijuana it's yeah. getting i mean it's going to be legal hopefully in 2016 yeah. on the federal and don't bill. drink too don't drink till you're 21 yeah be you're safe. not missing out on anything you really aren't you really aren't <laughs> there not. are plenty of nights to drink in your 40s and you're gonna <laughs> yes. you can do it then trust me put, put the kids put the kids to bed have a, have a glass of wine yeah <laughs> get a babysitter go out it's yeah. gonna be fun. there you I'm, go I'm, I'm still even that i'm perpetuating the thing. you can also <laughs> choose to be like me and not have children so you don't ever have to have a babysitter and you don't ever have to feel guilty if you go out to do stand-up comedy on a tuesday night and you have two whiskey gingers before eight o'clock because they're buy one get one free at ONG. you're trying to save money because you're trying to save money i know i could i had to i yeah do two for one <laughs> That's so you know, funny. So what I was tired, but she, um, I didn't have to go home to a baby, and it's okay. But sex ed, respect yourself. Don't believe everything you hear, and please turn off your cell phone. It's uh, the thing is, it's like I, I think it's going to be hard to like even tell people younger than us to turn off their cell phone because they're so adapted to the screen. Like they they were they were the internet kids, you know, and so I think it's so hard for them to realize that there's people out there other than the screen. Right. And you know how many times like I've been around some of my 20 something friends who were all sitting there and then three of them are on their phone at once. And I, and I sit there, I'm like, Hey, yo, you know, there's all of us here. Right. Why don't you put your phone down? Right. It, well, there's a new game that the, um, the rich people are playing when they go out, <laughs> they take their, they take their iPhones or their phones and they stack them on top of each other and put them on the corner of the table in a random order. And phones are ringing all night, vibrating. And the person who picks up the phone has to pay, pay for the dinner. Tab. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a great. I would game. never have to pay for dinner because I would just leave them. I'm like, my phone has no real information on it. Anyway. <laughs> I call people. I still talk to them. I I mean, the, it, come on. It. I can tell you the the whole movement of cell phones and like having even an iPad or what have you has really changed things because I get stuck with playing my with my oh, phone and, and I'm like yeah. stop it stop it I'm the one that's preaching stop playing with your phone I don't I don't play with my phone when I'm talking to people though I don't that, because you I know just, what that does make me nuts and kids do it all the time that you're talking to them and they're looking at their phone while you're talking to them. I, 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 I come from old-fashioned. That's kind of rude. Super rude. Or if you're going to text someone and be like, excuse me for a moment, I, I, I apologize or what have right. you. But no one says please or thank you or excuse me anymore. So I also agree that we have lost. Okay, so when I was in high school, we had a teacher. Uh, her name was Mrs. Ms. Condon. And she, in our senior year in AP English, she taught us manners. And nice. there was uh, once a week in English class, we had a, a thing where, and everyone had to, to do it at some point throughout the year, but a couple of times actually, where she would put this little table and these two chairs together up at the front of the room, and she would put a piece of art in front of it. And you had to, one person was the host and one person was the person coming over, pretending, and you had to shake hands and uh, look them in the eye and thank them. And then you sat down. They invited you to sit down. And then you sat down. You didn't sit down without being invited to. And then you had an intelligent conversation about this piece of art. And then when the conversation came to a natural close, you gave your salutations and you left. And it was amazing. And that she also sounds like fun. It was, it was fun. And so she taught us 
how to interact with stuff, but we were still looking at art and, and being critical about, you know, art and stuff. But she taught us manners. How do you introduce yourself to a person anytime in class that you didn't say please or thank you or excuse me? Mm-hmm. You'd get dinged. Oy. She would make us jump through strange hoops and people didn't understand why she made us do it, but I understood eventually. It's, you it's, gotta jump through hoops sometimes. She made us do our spelling tests. This was great. This was my favorite thing I'll say about Miss Conan and then I'll move on. She was a great teacher. She'd give us the spelling list at the beginning of the week mm-hmm. with vocab. It was vocabulary words. It was spelling and vocabulary. And she gave you, she wrote the list on the board of the word and its definition. And on Friday, she had pieces of paper that she would hand out. Uh-huh. And you would write it verbatim. You, you would write it. If you didn't study, then obviously you didn't do it. Right. But of course you studied. But it was a thing where, so the first week, we have a big piece of paper. The second week, the paper was a little smaller. The paper got smaller and smaller throughout the year until it was the size of a postage stamp. What? And you would have to get a special pencil. And all week, you would have to practice on a tiny piece of paper if you wanted to get the points. Oh my gosh. And then you'd pass your paper back to the person or whatever. And people would be like, she's insane. This makes no sense. Why would a teacher That's make you do clever. that? That's clever. I think it's great. It's, it's clever on multiple fronts. One, it's asking you to complete a task that is important. I mean, it, it definitely sharpened my vocabulary. I've always been a great reader, and, but I'm a terrible speller. So it sharpened both my spelling and my vocabulary, which was great. But having the, the work to make it smaller and smaller and having to have the discipline to be able to do that, because you couldn't practice on a regular piece of paper. Right. Because otherwise you'd be like, you'd get into the test and be like, ah, and you'd be so flustered you might, oh, and it had to be in order. Oh. oh. It couldn't be out of order. It was so great because she was basically saying, there are certain things you can't do in life without actually doing them. It's critical thinking. Certain things you just, you have to do them to do them. And I believe in discipline, so hardcore. Oh, and, yes. And that's why I think reading is so important. And it's always, when I had t- students that would do things based off the cliff notes, I would be able to see it. I'd say, so you didn't read the, really read the book, you used the cliff notes. And you <laughs> really sort of plagiarized. I'm like, let me teach you how to plagiarize better, okay? You, cha- you take the ideas, you type it into the computer, and then you change almost every word. That's how you do it, okay? If you want to plagiarize something, type it in. Do it right. But then completely change everything. If it says great, say amazing. If it says, you know, like switch things around. At there least, come on. At least appropriate the material. Don't just, <laughs> don't just think that the teacher hasn't seen the cliff. Like, anyway. No, no, I totally. I'm, I'm actually one of those people that I took honors English in high school, and there were a couple times, two times that I did use cliff notes because I tried to get through a couple books and I just couldn't because they were so. They were so or, right. They, uh, were, they were really uh, dense. Yeah. Like, uh, like. It, oh, I thematically too dense I or, couldn't or remember word wise it was just it was it was just boring great expectations was really tough for me oh, that because was, the I, language that was boring it was a, and it isn't a boring book if you can get into the language because it's actually about like this poor boy and he goes to this crazy old woman's house and she's like taunting him with her with her her child which he'll never get because he's not good enough and I mean thematically it's great, but I had to use Cliff Notes on that one because I didn't understand who anybody was because the language was so... Maybe, so, yeah. Cause, because Dickens was being paid by the word. 
And so, of course, you made it wordy and, like, verbose to the effect of nonsensical boringness. That's probably why I found it boring. Absolutely. Because he was... But yeah. I loved O'Fennell. I loved... Oh, oh. Yeah, you know. Oh, I loved... Great, yeah, great you know, play. And I loved uh, Sid Hartha. But I just... I couldn't get into great... Yeah, I couldn't get into great expectations because it was no great expectation reading that book. I remember I put it down so many times, like, God! I know! I don't understand this! And it, it always made me... I was confused because... Because they, they taught it in sophomore English. And I was like, you think we're going to enjoy There are so many amazing books out there. When you're a sophomore in high school, you still should be teaching children to love literature. And by giving them literature that's so dry. and just, There's so much great literature. And we're giving people just... And I mean, so when I got to teach English, I was teaching the books that I thought were accessible and made animal farm oh i love animal can't go farm wrong with animal you can't farm. go because that's what we're living in yeah um steinbeck's the pearl don't give them grapes of wrath it's too hard it's great at the end with the with the it it's a great book i liked grapes of wrath i like that i remember we had a we watched the movie after right the fact yeah. of, thank god but I, I i had an appreciation for it probably because i was in the midwest and stuff so right. maybe that's it's because cool. like that kind of drew kind of home a little bit um but definitely great expectation was, was Ugh, yeah well and but there's there's so much just steinbeck there's so much good steinbeck why do you gotta give him grace wrath like you can give him um the pearl is an amazing one because it's another allegorical story it would be great to teach like freshman english with uh animal farm because it's allegorical and or 1984 well 1984 <laughs> is great and 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 so and i think that better as a dystopian society i prefer brave new world oh i read that one yes i like brave, I like brave new world because it's less it's it's the same and then it's the future controlling all of your thoughts but it's not in a scary way they're they're controlling you through drugs and visceral like like how we're yeah how the way that brave new world controls its people is more the way that mirrors our society now, now. and how we're controlled with all of our choices and the feely plex and the centrifugal bumble puppy and 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 they have they had not frisbee golf but it's like anyways the games in brave new world are amazing and it's it take the soma Half a gram if you give a damn. See, you know, it's and like, that goes on to like now you, everyone takes a pill for their problem. Yeah. So yeah, that's. Yeah. I wonder what they read as curriculum today, like could, in high school. We could look it up. You know, uh, I'm very curious. Like, do they go to the classics, like you know, Catcher in the Rye and stuff like that? And I hope Catcher in the Rye is still. I hope so too. But I think that the language in it again is not necessarily accessible. It's one of my favorite books in the whole world, and I read it once a year. I no still have. Mine from high school. Yeah, absolutely. I do too. And uh, I love it. And I love Holden Caulfield and I'll love him forever. But I think that because of the stylized language from the 50s and what they talk about with the um, phonies and this and that, the themes, kids, are it's completely applicable today thematically. But again, I think kids might get tripped up on the language. I think, I think though... Like if I was to read Catcher in Rye again, I think it would talk about how egotistical and narcissistic that Holden Caulfield is, how a lot of young adults are now, very narcissistic, very egotistical. It's all about me, me, me. So that's why I figure like if they still had that book in the curriculum, I wonder how many students would identify right. with that. You know. Uh, 
shop for high school literature. Oh boy. How to choose books when homeschooling high school literature. Here we go. Let's <laughs> just check this out. Uh, I, I mean, I had a great, no, that was the thing, is the first couple of years that I was teaching, no one was in my classroom. You had and freedom. I had freedom. And I could teach whatever I wanted. I, I taught um, uh, a, a Wrinkle in Time. That was a good one. I didn't read that one. It's really, uh, it's really good. And it's another dystopian future. They moved to this place and everybody's doing everything at the same time. And you know what I didn't like? I didn't, everyone praises this book and I read it twice. Slaughterhouse Five, Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, uh-huh. I couldn't get into it. I read it twice. And I tried, and I just couldn't. And I felt like a moron because I didn't get into it. It was just I wasn't impressed as, you know, as many people, especially like some of my friends in I, high school. They're like, "I love this book. This book is amazing." I'm like, "I." Okay. Well, there's, and that's the funny thing is, is that people choose like their the literature that they like early. So they'll say, like, some people will be a re- big Ray Bradbury fan, or some people might be like, Vonnegut is the thing, and some people love J.D. Sounder. I love. So there are different authors that you sort of connect to in your formative years. I mean, I love Roald Dahl. I mean, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory forever. But then as an adult, he also wrote a, a bunch of great things. So, and I would go, and now that, I mean, I have an, I have an MFA in poetry and an MA in fiction. So, I mean, I've read so many books and I, I would teach Dorothy Parker. I would teach a lot of stuff from the twenties. I love F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. All the drunks from the twenties were really, really good <laughs> writers. They were, they were. So even, uh, Mr. Hemingway himself. Okay. So Hemingway <laughs> is an example of what happens when you become a cult of personality. His first book, Off the Rails Amazing, once he got famous, you know, he was Gertrude Stein's, um, he, Gertrude Stein was his child's uh, godmother, and he was really good friends with Gertrude Stein, they hung out and they lived together in Paris, and she was like one of his formative people. Now, and she helped him along, getting published and the whatnot, but once he got famous, everything fell to poop just crumbled, just crumbled right down because he was like aware of his own genius. Do you know? Yeah. Like before he wasn't and then all of a sudden everyone's like, this is amazing. And then he's like, yes, I am. I am. And then he, that's one of the problems of his, you know. Demise. Demise. (laughs) But then you've got a person like Jack London who's so great and he's still, I mean, he, he was... Well, I don't know what would to say you about throw, Jack, Jack Would you put, like, Jack Kerouac and Ernest Hemingway? Because to me, they kind of seem a little bit... The thing What's... with Hemingway is his use of language and keeping it so terse and so clean and his sentences so to the point. Well, I'm meaning as them as individuals. Because they're, oh. of course... I, 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 I mean, of course, their writing is t- completely different. But right, as right. individuals, they seem kind of like... They fall kind of in that same kind of category. Sure, yeah. wanderlust. Yeah. And then I would then I would put Jack London in that category too. The, the guy tried to sail around. <laughs> he tried to sail uh, to around the world in a boat by himself with his wife, one of his wives, and uh, <laughs> almost died. Met a bunch of cannibals. It was crazy in Papua New Guinea. It's amazing that he's still alive. I keep ripping these crazy things off. Um, so we're going to listen to this lady who says how to pick the right high school literature if you're homeschooling. We'll, we'll check this out. Uh, although the kids haven't come and they might not be, I still think this has been an interesting episode. I do too. On the AltaCast. This is how to pick the right high school literature. We'll, 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 we'll keep our microphones up because it might be boring. 
how to pick the right high school literature. All right, so you know you have to teach literature to your high school homeschooler. The hard part is picking which books you're going to do. Ah. There's an overwhelming number of book lists that you can pull off the internet, and that's a great starting point, but they're usually going to have hundreds or even thousands of books on them. You have to choose which ones are going to work in your homeschool this year. First of all, pick your subject area. Don't try to do a little bit of everything in a year. Pick American Lit, or pick British Lit, or pick World Lit, or pick a specialty area, something that really grabs your child. If they're going to go on to study veterinary medicine, pick a whole bunch of animal-related stories. Um, it's okay to, to do that. That's part of the beauty of homeschooling is we can individualize that for our kids. All right, then you've got to think about numbers. Very tempting to pick too many books for your literature class. Your student needs to read a lot in high school. I recommend approximately 25 books per year, but a lot of those should be books of their own choosing. It's important that they not think of reading as always being an assignment. So for your lit class, I recommend nine books. Why? Because there are typically nine months in an academic year. One book per month, that gives you plenty of time to read it, really dig into it, and then create writing assignments or projects out of it. All right, so now you gotta take these ideas that you have, hundreds of books, you have to pull out nine. How do you pick which ones to do? First thing to do is pick one that you loved when you were a teenager. You develop relationships with books when you read them. And certain books just grab you and they do something that you never ever forget. So pick one of those books because you wanna share that relationship with your student. Even if they don't fall in love with the same book, you will be modeling for them the intensity that can come from a book that really connects with you. For me, Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. Love to teach this book to high schoolers. I first read it when I was a teenager. It changed my world. And when I teach it, whether it changes the student's world or not, they see the passion in me. They see the way I can barely talk about certain scenes in it because they're just so packed with meaning. So pick something you love. Secondly, pick something that is below their reading ability. Yep, we want our homeschoolers to be awesome. We want them to graduate with amazing brains, but we also need to not burn them out. And there's wonderful literature that was written for children because on one level they can be appreciated by children, but there's so much more there once you get older and you go back and revisit it. I love to do things like Robert Louis Stevenson's The Child's Garden of Verses because the poems are not difficult to understand. They're quick to read, but oh, there's so many layers of meaning that my 16-year-old gets when he wouldn't have gotten it as a six-year-old. Pick some of the toughies. Two, maybe three of the books out of the nine should be really a stretch. They should have difficult vocabulary. They should be the ones that your kid says, I don't know if I can do this without reading a SparkNote summary too or without watching the movie first maybe. That's okay. They're gonna learn perseverance. They're gonna get through it. I love to teach Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities because book the first is really dry and it's hard to get through. But they are so rewarded when they get through it and get into book the second and book the third. And when you come to the end and you know, oh, it was worth it, it was worth it because it is a far, far better thing that I do now, you know the rest. Pick a play or maybe two plays. Plays are awesome because plays are designed to be performed in two to three hours at the most. So they can be read in two to three hours at the most. Especially if you have a student who's a slower reader and who gets intimidated. Pick a couple of plays. They're not hard to read, they're quick, but they're fun to read. And especially if you pull together a book club, if you get with other people who are reading it and you do it as reader's theater, your student has read the book and enjoyed it and played around with it. 
and now you can go on to dig into the characters, to dig into the flow of the plot, to watch productions on DVD or even go to the theater and see a live production. Plays, a great way to meet your literature requirement. Go with something that maybe they've already heard the story of and they maybe have seen the movie or they've seen all the rip-offs of the story because things like The Invisible Man have been done so many times. Go with something that's familiar, even if they already know how it ends. Your student's reading the book for the first time, so they're still having that experience of encountering H.G. Wells on paper in all of his glory. And uh, it, it doesn't matter that they know how it's going to come out. In fact, sometimes that's very reassuring for a student who's trying to juggle a lot of high school. Finally, make use of things like anthologies. This is a Norton anthology, and it has wonderful um, cuttings from longer pieces of literature. It has poems. It has short stories. You know, just because a publisher didn't actually put together a collection of poems for you and find it that way, it doesn't mean you can't count it as a book. So if you find that pulling out maybe 16 or 20 or 25 poems by a variety of poets and doing that in lieu of one book, you're still achieving exactly the same goal. So it's a wonderful way to make the most of your homeschool dollar, too. Pull things out of anthologies, pull things off of the internet um, for poetry and for short stories, and create those as books of your own. Those are some ideas for making homeschool high school literature affordable and accessible for your student, and also letting it be personal. And that's so much the point of homeschooling our kids. All right, homeschooling, homeschooling, schmomschooling. Uh, that was a bunch of different ways that you guys can look uh, at literature if you have kids that you're homeschooling. We have the, uh, we have the, the school here. What school are you guys from? Urban, the, urban School of San Francisco. The Urban School of San Francisco. Nice. Um, turn up these 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 microphones are on as well, so you can pull one up to your face if you have anything to say. These two, the one with the the uh, these bulbs. So uh, we are joined by the Urban School, uh, Kelly Yon's awesome classroom. They came last year. They're back again this year. And um, to give you guys a tiny bit of history on Mutiny Radio, we are a, a dues-based, pay-to-play radio station, meaning that. No one gets paid. They all pay to have a show. So uh, by the door, we have a ton of flyers. Uh, we have over over 30 different shows that happen here in the space. And they range in everything from... We have a guy on um, Flat Black Plastic on Saturday. He only spins vinyl. And he curates it every week with different themes, which is really amazing. We have a lot of comedy here, live comedy. So you guys are on stage right now, the stage that we use for that. And uh, we have a lot of open mics on Friday. We have an everything open mic from 3 to 6. If you guys are poets or you ever want to express yourself, we're definitely open for that. Uh, and we have things like Joke Workshop on Monday where comedians come in here and practice their new jokes in front of a panel. Any, any uh, performers in the group? Any people or any of you guys like, the, like to perform, dance, sing? That guy over jokes? there is smiling. He's a performer. He's a performer? <laughs> <laughs> You're, oh, a you're a dancer. Nice. Yeah. Are you gonna are you gonna be on so you think you can dance someday? Yeah, you can be on yeah. there. I'm 
Um, I'm going to Alvin Ailey next year. <gasps> oh Are my gosh! Amazing in New York. Wow! Congratulations so much. Did you did you win a scholarship? Did you were you in a thing? I or? did get a scholarship. Um, I had to audition though. Wow! That's amazing. Alvin Ailey is incredible. That is legendary. Friend at a college who ended up getting to go there. So congratulations. Yeah, That's should. really awesome. Thank you. So and much before you even go to college, you're just young. You're just going for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's gonna be like as part of like a college um, BFA program with Fordham University. So oh, wow. like it's a um, I would be getting like a dance degree from Fordham, but like you train at Ailey. Right. It's wow. a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Yeah. It's kind of like an MFA except for undergrad. Right. Yeah, that's so exciting. That is awesome. Awesome. Wow. So you have a ton of talented people. Is there a good dance program at the Urban School? We don't have a dance program, <gasps> actually. You don't? I dance at ODC, which is just a few blocks away from here. Absolutely an amazing place. So are you more of a modern dancer, or are you a ballerina? I, I cross-train um, contemporary and ballet. Cool, um, nice. So I, I started at San Francisco Ballet, but wow. then I um, went to ODC because I knew I had to do contemporary. Also. So you can do clean triples all day long. I got sometimes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I actually have a my in college I was a dance minor, so I I, I loved oh, ballet. I, I did ballet <laughs> for like 23 years, but I was never like I just loved it. I was never like good, but I danced on point and I loved it. Oh, I was nice. just not gonna like. I mean, no, you're gonna be fun. a professional. This yeah. is like yeah. this is what you want to do with your life. Right. That's yeah. Alan Avery. So yeah, yeah. you're going places. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> who else who else already knows what they want to do with their lives? Is there anybody else who already is like, this is what I'm doing with my life? Is anyone clear on that? Uh, yeah, what's up? Hey. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Michael. Uh, I'm a rapper. Oh, you are rap! Uh, All right, Michael. So you're like a poet. Uh, you could say that, yeah. Sweet. But oh. do you make your own beats? Yeah. Oh, how long? Slash producer. Nice. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, about two years. What got you into it? Like, what was that spark? Uh, I just really like music. So, you know. You brought us. You brought us. Oh, that's gonna go into his MP3 player. You brought us a. Oh, oh for sure. A thing, and uh, we're gonna take this eighth inch jack and then we plug it right in and all you have to do is press play and, and are you gonna is this a song that you produced in entirety or are you gonna rap on top of it because it's just beats or yeah, yeah. Uh, I made the beat and uh, recorded myself rapping over it sweet can you uh, tell our radio listening audience what the name is and, and what inspired you to to write this yeah um, so I made a little uh, mixtape of the sort but it's not a mixtape because it's my own beats uh, and it's this is like the intro track. It's called What's Gucci? What's Gucci? All right, yeah. guys. Uh, Michael, in his new song, What's Gucci? Uh, this is its first. It's a worldwide play. Worldwide, worldwide. And, I hope, uh, I hope we're, I'm allowed to uh, play explicit lyrics on here. Sure. It's not yeah. like we're top, not but. we're not FCC regulated because we're the internet and there are no laws about that yet. So everything goes. I was just keeping it clean today because I knew that you guys were coming. But if you if you break the fourth wall and make it, I'll still keep it clean, but I'm fine with it. I mean, we we have comedy here. <laughs> like it's dirty it gets comedy. pretty dirty. So uh, this is Michael with What's Gucci? For shizzle. Yo, hey, 
uh, it's me, uh, Mike. I seen a lot of fucking bullshit in my life. Like, how the fuck those that got it all make others fall trying to feel tall? Judgmental motherfuckers will never step back and see the picture stuck inside a box in their head and all they know is friction. Goddamn, could your fucking skull be any thicker? Like, why the fuck you picking beef with silver spoons to feed your knees? You fare well and you act well like I smoke pot and I judge not. You can call me a filthy stoner, but real idiocy lies in the owner of those words. So hopefully you get smacked by a massive ogre. Fucking nerd. I'm just doing my thing, spitting slang with a swinging chain as we hanging gang and the homies stang and a whole team trick with some big ass rangs. I use my opportunities. I'm respectful of communities. Approach all matters soothingly. Cause truthfully, I found my purpose is to earnestly arrange vibrations with my endless wells of patience and be the change. Yeah, be that one. Uniting nations. Ripping said the hate and cherish every race then crack a racist joke and laugh with all my white friends i try to conserve resources for future generations i'll be observant of the common struggles humans have to face and i want the ball to keep spinning and i faith that it will because legitimate kind is winning i'm not trying to steal so i'ma switch back up the beat because i've been taught not to spill when i'm flipping on the juice of what's come from others will because i believe that we all addicted so i'm taking baby sips and i'll try to produce my own juice and contribute with my own fruit so i'm begging all of you to just sip and never chug Cause all of us want a fucking hit of that godly juice mug That was dope. All right. Yay. So, uh, did you play the piano in it or was that a, did you find that? Um, I played it, but uh, part of it I like sampled from another beat. Sweet. Nice. Yay. So you're like a deep thinker. That was, that was pretty deep. That was that was better than Fetty Wap. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, thank you, thank how, you. How do Ooh. you how do you go about getting your music out to the people? Are you spreading it on like your Instagram? Are you guys do you guys all have Facebook? Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh. The Snapchats. Oh, let me turn your guys' mics up. Facebook. That's what I want to talk. About. Uh, where do you where do you want to go? Um, where do you feel like, to, like to your market is? I do. Are you on SoundCloud? Yeah, I'm on SoundCloud. I don't really try to There's promote it though. I just kind of right? make it for myself. Wait, but but then you what? Then what's the point? Yeah. It's just fun. It's cool. It's, I show it to like the homies and stuff. It's really yeah, good. Yeah, but it's talented. Yeah. Do, don't you know how much garbage is out there? <laughs> yeah. <I guess. laughs> Wouldn't you like to make? I mean, put your stuff out there so there'll be less garbage. Well, I mean, it's out there. People can find it, but I'm just not really, like, promoting it. I mean, I guess I just did promote it here. But. Yeah. <laughs> so how can people find you on SoundCloud? They go to Michael... Yeah, yeah, go to uh, <clears throat> soundcloud.com slash Michael. That's it. And then we'll find him. And, and uh, how many... Do you have a full album yet? Do you think? How yeah, many do you I have? dropped a tape. It's about six songs. Wow. What's cool. the name of the album? Do you have a name for it? It's called uh, Senior Spring. Senior spring. All right. Uh, and you guys, are you guys all seniors? Seniors. No. Yeah. So some of you are ready to, to get out. Other, others of you are... One more year. Two. 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 Sophomores. Oh, sophomores. Wow. wow. Yeah. I remember that feeling. So on stage, we have uh, a couple people. You guys want to introduce yourselves and say what you're, what you're we're planning to share with the worldwide live listening audience? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm Brad. Uh... I'm a sophomore at the Urban School, and um, yeah, um, we're just gonna talk about the uh, the election and the current political environment. Um, I got two interviewees up here. Um, state your name. Hi, I'm Cyrus Rosenberg. 
I'm an independent. And um, I'm Mackenzie, and I am moderate, but in San Francisco, I'm pretty conservative. Yeah, so um, just like the question that's on everyone's minds, like, what's it to be in such a, a liberal environment, such as the urban school? Um, what's it like to be uh, something other than completely liberal? Uh, do you mind if I start? Yeah. I'll tell you, Brad, I love being an independent. I'll tell you why. It is the ultimate political cop-out. I am allowed <laughs> to be a fluid voter, and if I don't want to be in an argument, I can choose to be fickle and align with any party I want at any time. So basically, I can choose who I'm arguing with, you know? Mm. Like, if I want to get into a conversation with my uh, friend Mackenzie here, I can be conservative. Sure, I'm an independent, but <laughs> if I want to align with my school and I want to be popular and I, you know, like, want to live in this San Francisco society, I can be liberal, and uh, I've found I've enjoyed my life a lot more by kind of staying out of this politics thing. I think for me, a lot of my grades are pretty heavily impacted on the fact that I disagree with my teachers. So <laughs> they don't tend to um, understand that I'm not a Republican, I'm like a Libertarian, which means I would vote Republican if I were to vote. But basically what a Libertarian is, is the economic and foreign policy side of, conservative, or of being a Republican, but none of the social stuff. So they don't care about religion and they don't care about they like stay out of social issues, which is good because I am socially liberal. So a lot of people don't understand that in school, so that brings problems for me. But yeah, that, that's why there needs to be diversity. Exactly. You mm -hmm. you brought up you said something really interesting that if you want to be popular, you're liberal. <laughs> is that the stigma that exists in San Francisco? That At the urban school, it's the way it is. <laughs> really? Don't That's fight funny. this stream because, cause, I mean, it's not even a stream. It's a tidal wave. You are liberal or you are having yeah. a hard time in school. Wow, Pam. Wow. That just it, tells a whole different story about us. It tells a whole, I mean, I'm 41 and I grew up in Danville, which is on the other side of the bay. I graduated from high school in 92. I know, I'm, I'm old, you guys. But everyone was conservative because everyone had money. And we were taught, like, I was conservative as a child. Now I'm call me pinko liberal. But I asked my dad when I was little, I said, well, what's the difference between a Democrat and a Republican? And he said, Republicans like us are people with money that want to keep it. And Democrats are people that want to take the Republicans' money and spend it on poor people. <laughs> so that's what I was sort of taught. And that was the, that was the party line. So to hear this, that if you're not liberal, you're that's shunned, funny. is like, whoa. And see, I'm from misery. I mean, Missouri. And, <laughs> uh, and so, which is very, very now conservative. And, but at the time when I graduated high school in 2000, we were a blue state. Now, it, it, you know, we still had, like, the place where I grew up in St. Louis, um, where I went to high school, it was mostly, you know, liberal, but you had a little speckle of conservatives. So, I mean, it wasn't as crazy as a climate as it is now, where you have people that would have adult conversations like we are right now. <laughs> as, but you see now most politicians don't have adult conversations like so. Um, so, you know, it, the thing was, we, my, a lot of people in my school were not that <laughs> smart when it came to politics. Because it didn't affect, it, we were a blue state, so it didn't affect us as much. Now, I think a lot of my friends who I did go to high school with, I see some of them as <clears throat> Trump supporters. <sighs> and 
it really is like kind of like a slap in the face because I'm like, dude, you were once friends and you, we were, you know, you used to break dance and stuff. And now you, you want to ride around with a confederate, a confederate flag. It's kind of weird to me. Well, <laughs> and does Trump scare you guys? Yes. And, yeah. and, yeah. and, yeah. and, and why? And it's just, it's funny to me that you guys are saying that San Francisco, I guess San Francisco is the strange bubble. Because yeah, it, it seems like everyone else in the universe right now is really Republican. Like, this could really happen. Mm-hmm. Like, he could really be elected. To, yeah. Like, talk about, I'd like to hear some of your fears about what it's like to be young and see the future with, you know, orange pot- face. <laughs> with potential Donald Trump. Well, uh, my, uh, my father and the rest of my family is like a card-carrying Republican. So um, we have we, we get in a lot of political debates because, like, I would consider myself to be pretty liberal. Um, yeah, and, like, I mean, like, what you were saying, like, uh, I used to go, like, I went to middle school, like, a Catholic school, and my brother goes to high school at a Catholic school, like, uh, not in San Francisco, but uh, down in the peninsula. And that, it's it's not, I feel like uh, urban's are a special place in which, like, a, or a, maybe a minority of schools because... It, where it's like considered like cool to be liberal. Um, at like my brother's school, uh, it's very cool to be like Republican and wear like your vineyard vines and your polo and stuff like that. <laughs> That's definitely not the case at Urban, I would say. But uh, yeah, but my dad, uh, my dad, uh, he's not he's not for Donald Trump per se. But he's for the Republican Party, and if that means voting for Donald Trump, that's something he'll do. And that like that saddens me, like uh, just the fact that like party lines are so like divided that like you'll just like vote for someone you don't want to vote for just because like he's like representing your like politi- like current political party. I see like the bipartisan system as like something that's like kind of like locking voters in and like making them I don't know support things they don't really support. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like um followers instead of like becoming leaders and seeing you know you know what else is out there and fighting the establishment why go for the establishment that you don't even like yeah i just don't understand why there we can't have the three people the three front runners all run i don't understand why we have to choose between bernie and hill dog why we can't just have like a race between all three yeah. Why Why do we have to have a two-party system like that? I mean, you, you're a libertarian, right, so you right. obviously believe yeah. in multiple-party system. Yeah, well, I think the issue with that case in particular is because since Bernie Sanders is identifying as a Democrat in this race, though his previous actions, I mean, he's very liberal, so that's questionable, I think. But with um, both him and Hillary running as the want-to-be Democratic candidate, that'll just split the party and that's an automatic win for Trump because mm. there's all the conservatives voting for one person and then all the liberal people are voting for two different. So if you don't want Donald Trump to be president, you can't expect and you can't, I think it's, it's hard to really want a three-party system, at least for this election. Gotcha. Yeah. And then I feel like the bipartisan system also fails us like in Congress and stuff, just like, like how like that whole government shutdown, how like nothing can get done when you just have like it's oh, consistently split down the middle. It's stopping any action from happening. Like whether you want it to be, like if you, whether you want it, it's like I don't know, like less taxes or more taxes. No matter what, uh, both sides are gonna equal each other out. So if you just took away the titles and the colors and let everyone just like vote based off like actual opinions and actual thoughts, like maybe yeah. more more waves would be created. Did you know that the socialists want kids to vote? The socialists yeah. think that, that to honestly, lower the voting age to know. I think it would be, I mean, the only time you guys get to vote is in that stupid Nickelodeon thing, right? So like, <laughs> Kids' Choice Awards, that's lame. I say, you guys, you guys live here in the country too. I think that, like, 
your opinions should be at least listened to um, because you're 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 Americans too. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what I think about the voting age. You guys seem really intelligent. I wouldn't have a problem with you guys voting. I think knowing a lot of people, like sixteen, I think is the age that they're deciding. Knowing a lot of sixteen-year-olds, as much as I really enjoy politics because I I want to go into politics as like a career. Um, a lot of the people I know who are also sixteen or older, um, I. I would much rather prefer that they wait until they're 18. Ah. Um, I also think if, if you're paying taxes, you should be able to vote. Like if you're Ooh. at the age where you can pay taxes. Hey. But if you're not paying taxes, like I have a job, so my I like get a certain amount of income taken out every week. Right. So you pay taxes. Paycheck, so I think being able like paying taxes is a good sign that you're old enough. Well, and, but then it, that also goes, you guys pay taxes every time you buy something. So that actually makes sense with American, Americans being consumers. We, vo- we vote with our dollars all the time. So, and, and everything we buy is taxed. So, if, I mean, if, if you're a five-year-old and you're buying stuff, I guess maybe you should be able to vote too. I, don't, I understand what you're saying, though, about the income tax. But um, don't libertarians believe that income tax is, is not um, a constitutional, it's a... It's a, what's it called? It's illegal. You shouldn't, income I, tax, it, it's, you're not supposed to, I thought I, that libertarians think, believe yeah, that. I think libertarians are, are very much against heavy taxing in any way, shape, or form, which I agree with to an extent. I don't completely side with libertarians. I'm like, I grew up in San Diego, which is really conservative, and then moving here, I'm kind of like wishy-washy, but um, with libertarians, they really do prefer, or at least for me, I don't think income tax, or at least heavy income taxes, are a very productive way for your money, and that just comes, whether you agree with me or not, it just comes down to how you side politically, and there's like not a lot of middle ground there, but um, they're really against the death tax, which I am very much anti-death tax. I, I, agree, with, I agree with that as well, yeah. because if when, when your grandma put all that money away, she paid taxes, or grandpa or father, they paid taxes to put it away, yeah. and right. then to be taxed on the way out, they're taxing you at both ends. It's not fair. Like sure. <laughs> the money was earned, the taxes were paid. Why do you have to pay them again? It's the same thing with capital gains. I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that either. Uh, middle middleman, you're not. Uh, you're Independent. Not again, fluid. I'm trying to. <laughs> gather, I'm essentially the funnel of this conversation, trying to gather everyone's opinion and make an educated one myself. But uh, both great points on both sides. I just. Amazing. I think it's smart for you to become indep- uh, be independent, you know, because that means you're you're not you're not held to one party system. You're not you're not a sheep, you know, and that that's kind of how I was raised. Though I've always voted the majority Democratic, but I don't trust most politicians anyway. But uh, <laughs> but being independent, you know. It's kind of like a dirty word for certain like people, especially po- politicians. Like, what's wrong with being independent and kind of like my own thing, you know, my own thinker? You know, Bernie Sanders, who actually technically is independent. So I question like sometimes like, well, he was once independent. Well, he's called it independent because nobody likes the word socialist. <laughs> because the social, word socialist really scares Americans for whatever reason. I think because of the Cold War past and communism and stuff like that. But I think socialism is amazing. We have a new voice on the panel. Hi. Um, I'm liberal AF. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, I think just like in response, like I'm also just like a really prominent like Bernie Sanders supporter. Like I am so scared of Donald Trump, especially as like a gay man. And like um, 
I I'm like just like afraid for other people but like also for myself because mm. like I know that like a lot of my rights are going to be taken away if mm. there was like a Donald Trump administration so I have decided that if Donald Trump gets um, elected I'm like definitely going to start rioting oh yeah I'm right. thinking of moving to like Peru or something. <laughs> yeah, everyone says Canada, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, yeah, that sounds like a more interesting place. Yeah, yeah. very socialist also. Are there are there other people who are saying that they're leaving? Yeah, there's many. Of them. Oh, there are many of you. Oh, that's great. I mean, if you're getting out, might as well see the world <laughs> in pretty aggressive <laughs> locations. Yeah. Well, I I said the same thing in um so when when. George W. Bush was reelected. I said the same thing. And at the time, I was married, and I said, I, we had, I had been saying to my husband, I guess he'd been joking, and I'd been serious. And I was like, if George W. Bush is elected, we're selling our house, and we're leaving the country. We're leaving. And he's like, uh-huh, 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 because he just never thought it would happen. He never thought that he would be elected for a second term. And when he got reelected, I said, all right, let's go. Let's pack our bags. He goes, we're not, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> so I, I don't want the same type of thing to happen where I say, oh, if, but I, I am so afraid of my rights as a woman being taken away, right, yeah, exactly. of, of Roe v. v. Wade being overturned, of, I mean, the pro-choice movement coming to a standstill, feminism being put back years and years and years. I think that the reason I trust, I distrust Donald Trump the most is that he can't even be honest about his own hairline. Like, if you can't be honest about your hair, what can you be honest about, right? Like, what is he saying? The comb-over should be president. I think that the comb-over, Latoya, weren't you the one who told me that it's it's actually, it covers up the, uh, he's a robot, and it covers up the mechanics (laughs) on his head. If you flip that part up, that's the easy access to his computer chip. Is that not? Yes. Sorry. I'm just making things up now. But, uh, so, uh, more, more insights, you guys, for the future of America? I think what scares me most about this election and, like, the choice to be independent, like, I understand the mentality of voting in your party, but, like, everyone in this election particularly seems very, very locked in their opinions. Like, there are some things the candidates say that, like, make a bunch of headlines for being, like, really bad, and something tells me they wish they could say on one or two of the comments, yeah, that was a mistake. But I feel like everyone's so locked in every word they say. So what being an independent allows me to do is make a mistake and change my opinion and go, whoops. And I feel like there's not a lot of wiggle room in this election and it's pretty frightening. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people, I mean, I I just feel like it's just turned really violent and ugly. You know, the thing is, it's just like, you know, like I said, I don't trust politicians, period. But you always got to take the bad with the worse. Yeah. Um, and so it, I feel like I have to say, like, the media, to me, has actually been the ones that have been hyping this up so much. And especially when it comes to, like, the Republican Party. I don't feel there are a lot of Trump supporters. I think the fact that there's so much money in media, they are finding people and finding sheep and possibly making them into Trump supporters, um, as well as I feel that, you know, it's sensationalism. It's just horrible. It's it's celebrity. It's the new it's the new reality. It's TV celebrity. Show. It's like CNN is like TMZ to me, and I actually <laughs> and I trust TMZ more now than CNN. Oh, what did I really say that? Gosh, but it, it, it's you know the thing is like it's not that no one's really talking, especially on the other side. No one's really talking about policies and what to do. It's always about like you know 
my hands are bigger or smaller or you know emails and i'm just like can you please give me uh some information on what you're going to do with your administration donald trump wants to build the wall and he wants mexico to pay for it that whole thing but how do you the whole idea how do you get the money to pay for it well he wants mexico to pay for it but how does it (laughs) so that's the i read i read all about the donald trump and his thing and, and that's the thing is a lot of his stuff just doesn't make sense why why would we why would we close off an enormous workforce that keeps California working? Like there's so Ooh. so much of our economy is based on migrant workership. And to, to close that off, wh- who's I just I don't understand. Plus California was once Mexico anyway. And and just the blatant <laughs> racism that Trump has displayed and the most the terrible things he said that no one's really calling him to court for it no one's making him be accountable it feels like he just gets to call people stupid and ugly and fat sometimes too and i'm like really we're body shaming now <laughs> like in a presidential election is that really what's happening yeah that's what so, sells yes that's what sells <laughs> but i think I, I think it's the whole party it's not it's the fact that they created this monster to, so defend the republican party you guys up on the up on the stage <laughs> I have I, I have nothing to defend. I don't think there's anyone here to do that. Else. <laughs> yeah. Somebody out there. Uh, well, what else do you guys What else do you guys want to share with the with the with the whole world? Anyone? We, we've 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 been running the gamut. We've got. Urban well, you know, I've had like experience dealing with like abusive attention-seeking individuals before, like Donald Trump, and like I think like the best way to like get get out of like this whole like media frenzy is just like stop paying attention to him there you go like it's all complete like sensationalism it's all to like get the attention it's all to like fill this like dark inner void that like he himself cannot fill and he has to perpetuate it onto other people and like yeah it's just like very frustrating to see people like continue to pay attention to someone who is obviously doing this only for the attention exactly right I'm scared. We have a new voice on the panel. Yay. Uh, I'm Nick. I'm a sophomore. Hey, Nick. Um, yeah, just going back to Trump. Um, I'm a person of color. I'm Latino. Uh, <laughs> so he definitely scares me. Um, I'm not Mexican, but all of my friends, well, a lot of my friends that I know are Mexican, and just being Latino is really scary because... He seems to categorize everyone into one picture. Right. Like, all those stereotypes is everybody south of the border is Mexican. Right, right. So I have to deal with that a lot. Um, So having to explain to people, like, hey, we're not all Mexican. We're not all this. (laughs) We're not all that. Um, Like, I don't have to speak Spanish. I actually don't. So having to just um, deal with that and then having Trump still be in the election and, like, possibly winning it right. is like one of the scariest things to be like a Latino male. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's always um, sad when somebody categorizes someone as Mexican when they are from, there are lots of South American countries, yeah. you know? <laughs> and the Caribbean. Yeah, and Caribbean, there's, there's people are Latinos are, are a vast <laughs> group and it's not just, but I mean, that's, uh, Those having are, a person in the White House that just yeah, says that. He doesn't read. That's what it is. He knows nothing about history or reading. You know, it's just like, you know, even the dialects of certain countries you go to, like Mexicans and Puerto Ricans don't speak the same Spanish. Right. Gosh darn right. it. 
you know it's just like you know not everyone eats tacos well right uh and and the on a worldwide scale you guys should know that the world is scared about trump it's actually oh, absolutely we did a list a couple weeks ago and out of the worldwide scariest things that can happen to the world economy as a whole it was done by uh, the economist uh, the scariest things. Trump was uh, number 16. He was right in the middle. He was like of the world's scariest uh, things to happen. That if he became president, it, it could economically affect the entire world really I'm, dramatically. I mean, I took, I took like the time out of my day to like go on his website and read his like foreign policy that he has. And it's like impressively like poorly written. Like it's like, <laughs> it's like so like, I don't understand like how he can use this like dialect that he uses. Like he talks like I like I don't even feel like he's like smart. Like right, it's right. like it's one thing to like have smart and just have like kind of like aggressive viewpoints. I just don't like like the like his word choice. I don't know. It was like it just seems so weird to me that like everyone would buy into this so much. Like he's just like playing on fear so much that he's I don't know. He's well he's never held political office of any kind. Yeah. Whether it be a mayor, whether it be a PTA, whether it be he's never held a political office and the audacity of him to run for president. I mean that's that in itself the, is ostentatious rich man scary. It just teaches what does it teach you guys? If you have money you can do anything you want. And then people always bring up like, oh yeah, but he's like a fantastic businessman. Like what? Like no, his oh. dad like gave him like so much money. And then yeah. 